Well, find a good church. It'll help you. Today on the Arts Report, Victory Square Block Party celebrates with music, comedy, and sprinklers. The first in Canada shipping container art is back at the Peony. Award-winning actors put on a play within a play at the Playhouse. And the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival shows off 63 films and fiestas. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Arts Report for Wednesday, September 1st, 2010. I'm your host, Adam Janusz. You are listening to us on CITR Radio, which is 101.9 FM in Vancouver, and, of course, also uh, streaming online, perhaps, on the Internet at uh, citr.ca and in, uh, in podcast form also. Um, today on the show, we have uh, four exciting uh, stories for you. The, uh, the first of which is about the uh, Victory Square block party that's going to be happening over the um, long weekend, Sunday to be specific. And uh, we'll hear from Cameron Reed, who's the organizer, and he'll tell us uh, about all the goings-on that will be taking place on Sunday. Um, CITR will be there broadcasting live. Um, I'll be there from 3 till 5.30, I think, broadcasting. And uh, we'll have a, a team of uh, DJs and broadcasters and people there all day long to, uh, to celebrate along with everybody there at Victory Square. Um, we'll tell you about uh, container art, which is a one-of-a-kind um, art project that's happening at the Peony for its second year. It started last year, and um, it isn't being done anywhere else. It's it's uh, it's a project that started out in Italy and has been in cities uh, throughout the world, but uh, it was the first one in Canada, and I think it still is the first one in Canada. Uh, so we'll learn about that. Um, we'll also hear about... Uh, a Life in the Theatre, which is being put on um, sort of in the Playhouse. Um, it's, it's in the Recital Hall, which is um, inside uh, the Playhouse. And, um, and it's a great uh, two-person play within a play. About, uh, it's about actors, um, one older, one younger, and they try to um, sort of... Um, one tries to, to educate the other and... Um, and they do various uh, plays, um, you know, one sort of Shakespearean, one Chekhovian, etc., uh, etc. Et so we'll hear about uh, that. And, uh, and, of course, we will get caught up on the Latin American Film Festival, which uh, starts tomorrow. And will feature 63 films from all over the Latin world, from uh, Mexico to Brazil to uh, Spain and everywhere in between. So we'll get uh, an update on that. So, yeah, we have quite a show for you. Um, there's some exciting news in the arts world uh, in B.C. Uh, today which is that the BC Arts Council will get seven million bucks from the government um, to, to do their thing. Um, now, this comes after um, massive uh, arts cuts over the last year of um, basically, I think it's for, estimated 47% 
cut in the year 2010-2011 that's been taken away. Um, so that was first. And then the government said, no, wait, we're going to announce um, some money for the arts, uh, some sort of sports and arts legacy fund. So don't worry, there's money coming. It turned out that was mostly for government-sponsored uh, festivals, something like uh, festivities now or some, some uh, BC government uh, slogan thing. So really it wasn't many money at all, and so uh, the cuts remained basically, and um, Jane Danzo, the head of the BC Arts Council, resigned. In protest, C7, which was a sort of a marketing campaign for local theatre companies, has suspended its operations, and uh, a lot of people were glum uh, and continue to be so. Um, and then, so with that, with that background, um, now we hear that um, seven out of the the ten million dollars that was that was um, announced, sort of announced for the arts, those ten million bucks that was mostly going to sports festivals, seven of those ten million dollars will now be uh, put back to the Arts Council. And so, um, so some good news after a lot of a year of uh, bad news. There's some good news for the arts community and uh, the Arts Council with uh, their new head, uh, or sorry, interim chairman, Stan Hamilton, will be looking to, and I'm quoting here from the Times columnist, um, commissioning, developing and producing new works. Um, They'll be using the money for artists in education, opportunities for the next generation of artists and further support for our operating I'm missing the last word for that. What could that be? Further support for our operating activities? Let's go with that. So, yeah, so a little bit of good news. Of course, now, while the reactions have been somewhat positive, um, it still really uh, does nothing to address the original cuts, right? This is just sort of uh, basically a shell game of, you know, taking a lot of money away, then bringing some back, then not really offering that money, and then, okay, and then saying, okay, fine, we will offer you that money. So it's a lot of back and forth, but anyway, a little bit of good news. So there's that. Okay, so we're going to take a tiny little break, and um, when we come back, we will hear about the um, Victory Square uh, block party. So... Uh, Stay with us, and um, we'll be back after this uh, short, short message that we'll play right now. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin's Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. All right, we're back. So on Sunday, September 5th, we have the Victory Square block party, which will feature numerous bands, uh, looks like seven bands, uh, as well as comedy, like uh, Charlie Demare, Man Hussey, Pump Trolley, and... And others, and uh, DJ Radio Zero, and of course uh, CITR will be there broadcasting all day. It starts at 2 p.m. and will go till 9 on um, from Victory Square Park, which is a, a f- which is on the corner of uh, Hastings and uh, Camby. So I spoke to Cameron Reed, who, when he isn't doing uh, 10 other projects, including uh, Music Waste, which is an independent uh, music festival that happened in uh, in June, and when he's not um, doing his own um, 
music as uh, under the name Babe Rainbow. Um, he's he's uh, organizing the Victory Square uh, block party, and as you'll hear from our interview, he considers it a uh, a community festival, which could mean a lot of things. But um, he'll explain what uh, what he means, and. Um, and he will also, uh, besides talking about the festival, talk about how he's uh, he's a man about town, and has many um, wears many hats. So here's our interview. Uh, first off, thanks for being on the show. No problem at all. All right. So give us a, an idea of uh, Victory Square Block Party in terms of uh, is it like a music festival? Is it a picnic? What what is it? It's sort of a uh, really, if anything, it's more of just a community festival. Um, you know, when when someone when someone says a community festival, that can mean a lot of things. It can be, uh, you know, for a specific neighborhood. It can be for a community that's, uh, you know, a part of a, you know, any sort of any sort of group. For us, I guess, it's more independent culture in the, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of uh, that's sort of the community that we're uh, celebrating. Okay, and what are some what are some highlights this year? Some highlights of the the, uh, the block party. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, uh, I, I think we have a, I think we have a really incredible lineup. We have uh, we have some amazing uh, comedians and sketch uh, sketch comedians that are going to be uh, that are going to be taking part again. And uh, and you know, we just kind of continue to grow. Uh, the whole festival just continues to grow. So it's not just uh, it's not just music or any one particular sort of thing. It's uh, it's a cornucopia of different stuff. Yeah, and you know we try to have uh, we we try to have a broad range of styles mm-hmm. of music during the day as well. Okay. Uh, you know we don't want it to just be you know punk bands or or sort of sort of uh, you know uh, folk stuff. We we try to have a bit of everything. Uh, it's it, as with the other festival that we organize, Music Waste. You know, there's only so much room, and there's so many different uh, groups and and uh, and styles of music and and communities, and you can try to represent or uh, at least reflect as many as we can try to reflect as many as we can but you know there's always going to be there's always going to be someone left out there's always going to be someone that doesn't feel like they're being represented but we really try our hardest to uh to try to highlight you know the diverse you know the diverse styles of music and communities that the uh city has mm-hmm. um you've been doing this for this is the fifth year um i believe uh if I, if I can remember, I think uh, the first one was in 2004, mm-hmm. um, and it, we only took 2009 off. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, it's, I think it's a sixth year. Sixth okay. year, yeah. And then now you're sort of um, sort of coordinating this, and uh, you're quite the the man about town. Like you also do uh, music That's what it says waste. On my business card, yeah. <laughs> man about town. Oh, yeah, man, I'm <laughs> um, Tell us some of the other things that uh, that you're involved in. I noticed on your your email signature, you're also uh, promoting um, uh, an artist named uh, Babe Rainbow. Is that right? Uh, that's well, that's me. Yeah, oh, that's you. I, Sorry. Uh, I make I make electronic music uh, under the moniker of Babe Rainbow. I uh, I have a um, an EP out on uh, UK's Warp Records mm-hmm. and yeah I've just been kind of doing that for the last year and a half and uh, just started as a fun little you know I've, I've played music all my life but this was just a way to sort of experiment and turns out people like it so mm-hmm. I'm working on that I also uh, as I mentioned previously I uh, work uh, work with a big group of people on uh, Music Waste which is um, 
another independent, uh, you know, music, art, and comedy uh, festival that takes place over five days in the beginning of June, and uh, sort of a sort of a way to give people a the best way to put this kind of give people you know a taster of of what's happening in the city you know people see show posters and they hear about the comedy and you know their friend is in an art exhibition they you know i think there's a lot of people that you know hear about it there's always a lot going on so what we try to do is we try to synthesize all of that into one week we make festival passes um uh Fifteen dollars. We try to keep all the venues within walking distance, and uh, we try to make it the easiest for people to go see some of the uh, awesome independent culture that our city has hmm. um, in the in the shortest amount of time. And then also over last December, um, myself and a number of people from the um, uh, comedy community, we collaborated and we made a sort of transmedia web series uh, called Mental Beast that was um, part radio show, part um, video, like a um, television series, um, as well as a um, 30 songs uh, by local bands mm -hmm. uh, interpret interpreting or covering um, holiday music. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we turned that into a, a little compilation the compilation CD, so that was sort of the last, the last sort of big project. Cool, and I'm yeah. curious what um, what is next? What is your next plan for uh, for world domination? Not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, you know, the, the Victory Square Block Party is big. I'm, gonna, I'm, me personally. I mean, this isn't about me. It's about the Block Party, but I'm gonna concentrate on my music for a bit. Um, mm -hmm because I've been doing all these other things while that sort of took off and it's and it's a good opportunity to you know actually see where see where it could go. Awesome. All right, well thanks for your time today. Um no problem at all. Thank you. Awesome. That was Cameron Reed of the Victory Square Block Party. So some of the bands that will be featured this Sunday uh, include uh, Pack Ad, The Transmitters, Apollo Ghosts, Makeout Videotape, Lord Beginner, Sex Church, and Aura Kogan. So let's hear from one of those uh, one of those groups, Apollo Ghosts. Uh, this song is called Validation. <laughs> Did you make it for the pigeons in the park? And you know all her songs are safe. Not just sweet when she starts saying Validate Validation, baby. We're at 8,000 feet, perishing cold, and I'm bored stiff. What about putting on a hot gramophone record to cheer me up? Hello? 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 
Hello, fellas. This is Duke Ellington. Ah, uh, get it, boys. Let's get sweet and hot. In the opinion of hot music critics, Count Basie has one of the best dance orchestras in the country. King of the clarinet, Marty Shaw, and his orchestra making dance history in the Blue Room of the Hotel Lincoln in New York City. Every Thursday from 10 till noon, join me, your host, Charles Burnham, for Sweet and Hot, a celebration of the 78 RPM record, a three-minute masterpiece, and the golden age of North American songwriting. Hot jazz, swing, and popular music from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. That's every Thursday from 10 till noon, here on CITR 101.9 FM. And we're back on the Arts Report. Peter Mayo, who is actually the Vice President of Sales at the PE, was uh, looking for something new and something fresh um, in terms of the art content at the uh, PE. So last year, he uh, looked into something. Um, that was going on in Italy, which involved using shipping containers and turning them into art. So since then, he's um, it's it's grown and enlarged, and uh, after its first year last year, it's now back and bigger and bolder than ever. So um, here is uh, my interview with uh, Peter Mail. Toff, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Okay, so tell me, what is uh, container art all about? Container art was a way we, we looked for a way to bring back our a stronger art presence at the Peony Fair, since fairs are such cultural icons. Um, so one of the things that we, we looked at, we looked at different ways to bring it back in, and I came across a concept uh, that's in Italy where, where they take shipping containers, individual containers, and they put them around a city, and then art, artists do installations inside those. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're attached to corporate sponsors and things like that. So, so about a year and a half ago, we phoned up uh, the gentleman that works uh, on that operation out of Italy, a gentleman named Raul, and uh, we talked about the possibility of working with him on a project of our own. Um, he was really sweet about it and said, you know, you really don't need me. Um, you could actually do this on your own if you want to. And we said, no, we, we want to work with you. Uh, I was really attached to it. I really like his branding, and I really like the fact that he had a, he runs an international website called containerart.org. Mm-hmm. And on that, they have done installations all over the place. I mean, Jerusalem, Land, Venice, London, Sao Paulo, Brazil, New York. So I was what I wanted to do was to see the city of Vancouver and our artists on that website. Okay, so this isn't uh, sort of like an international touring show. This is actually Vancouver Artists. This is actually Vancouver Artists. So what we did is, is, is I designed a piece that was slightly different than whatever things that he had done before in that what I did is I stacked them up. I used, last year I used 18 shipping containers, mm-hmm. and I basically built a series of five arches with a central courtyard. Wow. So it's almost like a, like a little neighborhood in a way. It's basically, really, if you want to describe it, I would say that during the day, it's an art gallery with a soundtrack, because mm-hmm. we have music with it. Oh, okay. At nighttime, we turn that music up, and then we have a massive light show that attaches to it, so it actually, at nighttime, it's more like some kind of electric Mayan ruin. Okay, okay, wait a minute, slow down. <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me about this. So, so the, by day, you can sort of roam around and just appreciate the art, but then at night, it turns into... I don't know what. <laughs> tell me. About, tell me more about that. 
<laughs> well, what we did is, like, last year we had eight artists. This year we have 12 artists uh, that have installations in containers themselves. And then this year what we've done is we've boarded all the containers with um, LED tubes, and we're shooting projected imagery onto the outside of it. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the entire thing, in the middle of the plaza in the center, I have a 10-foot container that uh, our carpenters built a, a great little adapting setup on top of it so that I can put a sky tracker, which is a forehead moving searchlight, on top of it. Mm -hmm. So at nighttime, the entire containers are framed in, in LED lights. We shoot the projected imagery on and then out of the center shoots up uh, a four moving searchlight. Wow. Okay. So tell me how uh, a VP of sales at the PE gets involved in sort of building this, this giant art light show thing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, part of my job, I have a pretty diversified portfolio. So through my department, we book all the buildings and the grounds on a year-round basis. So mm -hmm. all concerts, film shoots, trade shows, sporting events all go through us, right? We also run a large group sales department, but the other part of my department is the exhibit space department. So we contract, we lay out the grounds as part of our design work. We build the, we do the theme buildings, which is the marketplace building and the Home Depot Home Showcase building. And then we produce, we produce attractions. So we produce exhibits mm -hmm. for people to see. I mean, for the longest time, we would just buy touring exhibits. And what I found frustrating with that was that they were quite expensive, and a lot of times I didn't feel that they were highly relevant. Mm -hmm. So we started to look at situations where we would actually design our own exhibits because we felt we could do a better job and, and have a much more relevant situation. Excellent. So we tried this container art piece last year. We put it up. We put the art installations inside it. And we really didn't know when we opened how it was going to go over. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is it just took off. We, within two days, there's a national arts website called wallfarmers.ca. Wallfarmers referred it in a review as they said that it was the most intrepid arts installation ever in the city of Vancouver. Wow. Uh, by the middle of the first week, um, we were in a situation where the Vancouver Courier wrote a full-page article on it, talked about the logic behind it and how it was put together. Mm -hmm. By the middle of the second week of the fair last year, it broke national in the Globe and Mail. And so, then by the end of the fair, we worked out a situation with Container Art in Milan to put one of our artists in Milan at a series of shows throughout the month of October. It was a series of shows called Box Shock. So one of our pieces was on, one of our artists was on display in Milan with the fair's logo and the city of Vancouver's logo on the side of it. Wow. So a bit of an ambassador for the city. Totally. And as far as you know, is this the only thing of its kind in, in Canada? Yes, uh, it was the first, definitely the first time it had ever been done in Canada. In fact, I went in November to the Canadian National Fair Industries uh, annual conference, and they uh, they actually created a new award that it, there was no category for this type of piece, and they created a new award and gave us an award for the most innovative new concept in the industry for 2009. Wow, that's phenomenal. Okay, and let me just ask you quickly uh, about um, any other art-related uh, uh, exhibits at the PE this year. Oh, most assuredly, last last two inside the Home Depot Home Showcase building, um, we have worked for the last two years with the Eastside Culture Crawl. Mm -hmm. And what uh, we do with them is we put a display. Last year we picked about I think it was about ten key artists that worked in the medium of furniture, and we put a display together for them. 
Um, this year, we've kind of expanded that theme to, to more items than just furniture. So we've built sort of a, a mock-up exhibit piece that has sort of three defined rooms or spaces to it where everything in there is made by uh, culture crawl artists. All right. Well, thanks very much for telling me about this today. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that was Peter Mail of the PNE. If you want to get uh, a look at uh, the container art and how it looks at night when it's all lit up, we have a photograph for you. So if you want to go to citr.ca right now, you'll be able to see um, a photo of um, the containers, the amazing... Uh, lights and projections and um, it really does look sort of like a what did he call it? A Mayan a uh, something Mayan ruin oh, I don't have it in front of me anyway, oh yeah, wait, here it is Electric Mayan Ruin it really does, so check it out uh, it's at citr.ca um, and uh, right, so there's a container art. Um, there is the East Side Culture Crawl sort of cooperative, co- whoa, cooperation, excuse me. And um, and included in in the artistic uh, festivities at the PNE is a is a model of the the roller coaster, the Playland roller coaster. So uh, it sounds like a lot of great stuff is happening at the PNE. So you can check that out. Uh, basically now until the end of the long weekend, which, if I, unless I'm crazy, is the, the last day of uh, the PNE. So check that out. Okay, so coming up uh, next, we will talk about um, the award-winning... Oh, right, we'll be talking about uh, A Life in the Theatre, which is coming to uh, the Playhouse. But first, uh, we're going to hear... Um, an ad. Oh, right. I should say also thank you so much to uh, Microsoft uh, Windows for the lovely uh, dead air we had during that interview. That was the uh, the computer having a hiccup. Thank you. CITR 101.9 FM is proud to support the 8th Annual Vancouver Latin American Film Festival from September 2nd to September 12th. With dozens of films from all over Latin America, the festival brings dramas, documentaries, and social, historical, and political films to Vancouver. This year's festival focuses in on films from Colombia. Films are in Spanish or Portuguese with English subtitles. Visit www.vlaff.org for tickets and a full listing of films. Vancouver Latin American Film Festival Festival, September 2nd to 12th. Hey, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, before we go on, I have uh, to I have something to tell you about. Um, this is uh, an event coming up in the next couple... Sorry, it's coming up on this weekend, Friday and uh, and Saturday. And um, this is, uh, let me just read it out to you, the Glenna Evans Memorial Bursary. And they're holding a silent auction benefiting emerging artists at Emily Carr 
and this is coming up on Friday and Saturday. On Friday, it's, uh, it starts at 10 a.m. and goes till 5 p.m. and it's open to everybody. And on Saturday, it'll be from 1 p.m. till 7 p.m. Bidding closes at 6.30 p.m. Uh, open to the public, uh, vino and fare will be served. And you can get more information about this at www.glennaevans.com. And that's Glenna with two N's. Um, glennaevans.com. And I believe it's also on the Emily Carr um, website. Uh, Glenn, Glenna Evans was an emerging uh, artist and student at uh, Emily Carr who passed away um, earlier this year. Um, and uh, yeah, so her friends and family have set up a bursary that will uh, benefit emerging artists. And they're using this auction to, to fund the, the uh, bursaries um, in her name. So it sounds like a really great event. And uh, as I said, it starts uh, Friday, Friday, September 3rd. Uh, from 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. Now, as for where it is, I'm going to guess it's at... Um, ah, it could be anywhere, really. So the best thing to do is check out the website, which is glennaevans.com, and get the scoop there. All right. So next up, we have A Life in the Theater, which is uh, being... Um, which is being assembled, if you will, by two uh, award-winning uh, Vancouver actors, Ryan Beale and David Bloom. And A Life in the Theatre is a play uh, by David Mamet. And it's sort of, um, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say it's, it's mocking or, um, or making fun of, but it sort of celebrates um, acting and, and theatre making. And um, it's already started. Well, it's had a few. Uh, it's had a few uh, preview shows, but uh, the run is uh, is just about to uh, kick off. So I had a chance to speak to David Bloom. Unfortunately, Ryan Beale couldn't uh, join him for the interview because his bathroom has exploded today, and water is gushing out as we speak. So naturally, he he uh, couldn't be on the phone and deal with his gushing bathroom at the uh, at the same time. But uh, David Bloom certainly um, filled us in, and uh, we had a pretty uh, extensive uh, chat about um, about the show and uh, about their sort of unique process that they that they went through in making it. In the sense that the two of them just really wanted to make it happen. So they put themselves in it um, and uh, needed a director. So basically they enlisted uh, some of the finest uh, directors in Vancouver to each uh, have a look at uh, a, a different scene. And so um, I think it's six um, directors in all um, helped them shape uh, the play. And um, yeah, and they've done it. So yeah, so here's our, uh, here's our interview with uh, David Bloom on what he calls a love song to Vancouver Theatre. Uh, first off, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us about first uh, Life in the Theatre. Give us a synopsis. Well, Life in the Theatre is uh, it's kind of a vintage David Mamet play from the 70s, uh, and it's simply the story of an older actor and a younger actor. The older actor sees himself as kind of a mentor figure and um, basically takes it on himself to instruct the younger actor in the ways of the world, but it becomes apparent in a fairly short time that the older actor um, is kind of rigid and stuck in, uh, in his ways and doesn't really have as much to teach as he thinks he does. 
and that the younger actor's career is taking off as the older actor's in decline. So it's, it's sort of a tragicomedy. And is it like a Shakespearean tragedy where everyone dies at the end? <laughs> Nobody dies. <laughs> okay. they, they, uh, they die on stage once or twice. Uh, they, yeah. they die in the sense of... Uh, uh, actually, you know, corpsing, just um, as we see in the theater, just losing it. Uh, <laughs> they lose it a, uh, a couple of times on stage. But they, um, uh, no, it's more of, um, it's more Chekhovian than that, <laughs> than, than Shakespearean. Okay. Nobody dies. And, and, and I shouldn't really use the word tragedy because certainly the two audiences we've had so far have seemed to find it incredibly funny, which, uh, which it really is. Okay. Uh, so this is um, with you and Ryan Beal. Right. And uh, tell me, uh, what is the genesis of this project? How did it come about? Well, Ryan and I met on a production of uh, The Diary of Anne Frank about six, five, six years ago. And uh, on the closing night of that, we were just all talking at the bar. And, and just as he was getting up to leave, I, I said, we should do a life in the theater someday. And he was like, yes. Uh, and then for... For, you know, five years after that, we kept on trying to make it happen. I mean, this is a play that I wanted to do with Bernard Cuffling about 30 years ago when I was going to play the young actor, mm-hmm. and Bernard was going to play the older actor. We, we never got it together. But anyhow, we we, um, we tried to uh, put it together a couple of times as a co-op with, um, with Craig Hall, who's a wonderful director, uh, artistic producer of Rumble Productions. And the, between the three of us, our schedules never allowed it to happen. And we kept on, you know, setting up times when we thought we might all be free and then one of us wouldn't be and so on. So finally, at the beginning of the summer, uh, Ryan phoned me and he said, I'm not doing Bard this year. He often performs at Bard on the Beach. I've got time. Let's do it. And if we can't get a director, let's just do it anyway. And I said, great, let's. And we just started working very informally on it um, and putting together ideas and looking for people to help us out with things and then one day in rehearsal in this play most of the play takes place backstage in uh, you know in dressing rooms and backstage and uh, rehearsal rooms and so on but there's six scenes where they're on stage performing from six different plays which plays which don't actually exist that mammoth's made up <laughs> okay but they're very recognizable genre plays the world war one play and the doctor play and the lawyer play and the the, the fake checkoff play and so on and so forth and and, um, and I said you know what would be amazing because we've been seeing this play as a kind of a love song to Vancouver theater anyway I said but what if we asked six local directors from various uh, you know parts of the community to each direct one and so we both got really excited about this and we sent out messages to various people and uh, um, and we ended up with a just a great roster of six amazing people who came on board to each direct one scene. Yeah, you say it's a, it's a sort of a love song to Vancouver theater. Can you expand on that? Well, it was partly, uh, I mean, you know, I, uh, we, we're doing this play not because there's any particular need to do this play at this time. It's not like sometimes you look at a play and you go, this is part of the zeitgeist. We're really doing this play very selfishly. <laughs> we wanted to do the play. We've been wanting to do it for a while. We're doing it for our own pleasure. And, uh, you know, I certainly, when Ryan approached me, I was kind of, um, I was in a bit of a, an emotional funk. I was between the, uh, the, the cutbacks from the government, mm-hmm. you know, cutting 50% of arts funding. Uh, that's how they, they don't do the math that way, but that's how it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and various other things. I'd been feeling overwhelmed and depressed, and I, I'd kind of lost my joy for, for this work, which I've been doing for 35 years. 
And so um, this was really a way to remind myself that I love it. And, um, and Ryan had, uh, I can't really speak for Ryan, but he had similar feelings of just wanting to do a show for the sheer pleasure of doing the show, not because it was a job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, we, we, when we were working, we would just talk about the various things that we felt positive about in the community. And in spite of everything, there's tons to feel positive about. And we just thought we really wanted it to feel like it was uh, kind of a, a little valentine to, uh, you know, to a community that's going through a lot of rough stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, um, you know, once we started, you know, getting, uh, getting to that point of these, uh, these six people coming on board, and then also we have, you know, a, a wonderful design team of Lemily Kramer and Naomi Sider and this young guy, Connor Moore, um, it, and then Danny Fecker, who is one of the sweetest, kindest human beings in the world and a fabulous stage manager coming on to play the stage manager, uh, to perform the part of the stage manager in the show. When, we, when, when that started happening, it just started to feel like... Um, Everything that we love about the sense of community that sometimes happens in this in this town was sort of happening in the show. And then, you know, when we when we invited Max Reimer to direct one of the pieces, he said, "Well, why are you doing it?" And we told him what we thought we were doing it. And he said, "Well, why don't you do it in the recital hall in the basement of the Playhouse? I've been he, he's for a long time been wanting to turn that into a viable venue." So then, all of a sudden, we had the Playhouse doing everything they could to make this new venue viable and to, for us to experiment with, with that. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. And then everywhere we ended up encountering people's best intentions and people, you know, trying to help us with our own mistakes and so on. <laughs> you know, the people at Equity were really patient with us when we got our paperwork in way late. And, you know, everybody, everybody has just been incredibly generous around the project. Huh. And, uh, and that's been great. You know, it's like, uh, it, I, I don't always um, I don't always feel warm and fuzzy when I'm working. <laughs> I'm often quite grumpy and cynical, but this has been a real uh, you know a real kind of my uncle's got a barn kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let me ask you about this uh, this kind of unique uh, rehearsal format, um, kind of workshoppy style without a, without a single. Um, director, do you think you'll? What do you take away from that, and will you want to do that really again? In, really interesting. I mean, first of all, um, you know what it's done for both of us is make us appreciate directors again, too, because for two reasons. One, because each of these people came in and really um, and really gave us beautiful stuff, and then you know we were thinking, well, what about all this other stuff where we're not being directed? Are we fools? <laughs> um, but. But you know there was, and and a, a colleague of mine, uh, Tom Cohn, who's a who's a playwright and and actually, you know, has met Mamet and knows his attitudes on things, expressed a real concern, a very legitimate concern that the play wouldn't have a unity of uh, focus and it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be true to itself. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, of course, it becomes Ryan's and my job to make sure that whatever these guys do, we're all in the same play. And so you know, we established a sort of aesthetic criteria mm-hmm. right? don't mind me using pompous words <laughs> and um and just sort of said here are the, here, are the, here are the parameters of what we think the world is that we're that we're in you know like it would be very easy for instance to just do really to really send up the scenes make them ludicrous to uh 
to make the actors look stupid, and we could probably get lots of laughs doing it. Mm-hmm. But we thought, okay, for all their flaws, these guys are working nonstop. They can't be crappy actors, so we can't do any of that cheap, bad acting shtick that actors love to do when they, when they act people acting. Um, and so, you know, we just sort of said, have fun with the genres, have fun with the different styles, but within the world that we're in, these guys have to be... Um, they have to be at least reasonably good at what they're doing or they wouldn't keep working. And then there are things that happen, like my character start, stops being able to remember lines and there are breakdowns within the, within the scenes. But, but, the, but the directors basically tried to make the scenes as good as they could mm-hmm. <laughs> in their own ways. And it's much better, it's much more interesting to see people trying to do good work and failing um, you know, than, than to see just deliberate bad work being done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and enough people that were involved in the process, including our design team and our stage manager, were really honest with us when they thought that what we were doing was crap, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I think, uh, you know, my feeling from the, the performances that we've had already is that there is a consistency to, uh, to the play in spite of the, in spite of the fact that the, the directors are actually in it, which normally people would say is not advisable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for, for this interview and um, break legs with the rest of the run. We will, and thank you very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. That was David Bloom from A Life in the Theatre. Um, he mentioned in the uh, interview Bernard Cuffling, who was the original person that he wanted to do this show with. Um, and uh, David um, uh, wants everyone to know that... Um, um, Bernard actually sort of uh, posthumously made uh, an appearance into uh, the show um, in audio format. Um, so in segues between scenes, um, he tells a, a story of a disastrous uh, production of uh, King Lear. So in a way, he, uh, he does get to be part of the show. Okay, so let me tell you when uh, this is. It's uh, running from uh, tomorrow till the 5th and then on the 11th and 12th so yeah so september 2nd to the 5th 11th and 12th it begins at uh, 8 p.m at the vancouver playhouse recital hall which of course is located uh, attached to the queen elizabeth theater it's located at the corner of camby and dunsmere streets in downtown vancouver tickets are 12 dollars and they can be reserved by um, by calling the Playhouse box office, and you can get them online as well. And the website is www.vancouverplayhouse.com, and you can get the uh, the phone number there or buy the tickets uh, online. And uh, oh, right, and some of the some of the incredibly talented people who helped with the show uh, include uh, Kim Collier, who is the artistic director of the Electric Company. Katrina Dunn, Artistic Director of Touchstone Theatre, Craig Hall, Artistic Director of Rumble Productions, Linda Quibell, Co-Artistic Director of Felix Culpa, uh, Max Reimer, Artistic Managing Director of The Playhouse itself, and Richard Wolfe, Artistic Director of Pi Theatre. Whew, that's uh, quite a list. So uh, a ton of talent involved in this, and um, it should be a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to try to check it out. All right, so... Uh, oh yeah, let me give you a bit of an update on uh, what I mentioned earlier in the show. The uh, the silent auction in support of Glenna Evans Memorial Fund 
I did find out where it is located. It's at um, at Emily Carr itself. Uh, it's in rooms uh, 111 and 113 in the North Building um, in the campus uh, on Granville Island, which is at 1399 Johnson Street. You can't miss it. It's a big, giant uh, campus dead in the middle of, uh, of Granville Island. And as I said, it's, uh, it's this Friday and Saturday. It's a silent auction. And it's going to uh, benefit uh, future students of uh, Emily Carr, all in the name of a uh, third-year student who passed away earlier this year in uh, in a tragic uh, competitive um, uh, longboarding uh, accident. So, yeah, so you can check that out. And then also at the Emily Carr website, I found out a little bit more about who about the Emily uh, Carr current and former students who are involved in the container arts, which is going on at the PNE. Uh, it includes uh, Chun Hua Catherine Dong, who's doing a piece called Everywhere and All at Once, which involves a loop video project, uh, projection. Um, Johnny Ostrom, who uh, is doing work that includes projection and prints, a four-minute animation exploring the emergence of biological and perceptual complexity within a chaotic universe. And also Karen Garrett DeLuna uh, with a piece called Ning Ning, an interactive uh, swarm of LEDs that reacts to both stillness and motion. And then there's many, many others. And this is uh, going on at Spirit Plaza at the PNE and uh, continues until September the 6th, 2010. So, yeah, you can get more information at uh, pne.ca slash the fair. All right. So uh, when we come back, we will hear about the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival. And uh, we'll get a bit of a preview of the festival that begins uh, tomorrow. So stick with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world. And guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take-home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. All right, we're back here on the Arts Report. So the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival uh, begins tomorrow and will feature 63 films, 33 of them uh, shorts, and um, and will be an excellent um, an excellent event featuring not only Spanish but also Portuguese films, Portuguese language films, excuse me, um, from Brazil. Um, uh, and also films, some in English, uh, some documentaries in English, uh, and um, indigenous languages as well, spoken in uh, Central and South America. The uh, opening night uh, gala is tomorrow night, uh, Thursday, at Granville 7 Cinemas, and uh, tickets are $10. But first, uh, let's hear from Christian Sida Valenzuela, who is the programming coordinator at the festival, and uh, get an idea of um, the overall event and uh, and chat also 
about um, the rise of um, rise of popularity in uh, Latin American filmmaking, thanks in part to um, to uh, Hollywood, let's say Hollywood exposure to um, to particularly Mexican artists, um, like um, like with recent films like Babel um, was uh, by a, a Mexican director, um, and uh, the other one, ooh, I'm not going to remember it. The the one by Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, he did um, he did one of the Harry Potter films, and uh, Pan's Labyrinth. That's the one I'm thinking of. Um, so some some Hollywood crossover crossovers have uh, have given Latin American filmmakers um, more more of a name to uh, North American audiences. So here's uh, my conversation with uh, Christian Sida Valenzuela of the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival. And if uh, my lovely Windows machine cooperates, we'll hear the interview. So the uh, Vancouver Latin American Film Festival, how many films will be featured this year? We'll be showing 63 films, 25 uh, feature land films and 33 short films. Great. And um, tell me some highlights. Uh, well, the, the guest uh, country is Colombia. In the previous years, we had Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Cuba and Brazil. In the year, Colombia is our, our guest country, so the opening film, The, Wind, uh, the Wind's Journey, the, the Los Viajes del Viento, that's one of our highlights, as well as our closing film, Rabia. It's a co-production with Mexico, Colombia, and Spain. And we have two galas, the Brazilian gala with the film Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and the Mexican gala with the film Alamar. Um, do you think that there's a, a common uh, thread to Latin Latin films, or something that um, that sort of unites them, that makes them different from, say, Hollywood films or, or films from different countries? Well, for Hollywood films, anything anything that is not Hollywood is totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we're talking about 15 countries here. So every country has, a, and every filmmaker has a unique style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see some a wave of cinema, let's say. If, uh, from Mex- young Mexican filmmakers or from young Colombian filmmakers, I have other topics that I use as much as they don't talk so much about violence as before. But, mm-hmm. but having 13 countries and 60 directors, it's a very different view from each and one of the directors. And of course, we're not talking just about um, Spanish language films. You mentioned that uh, there's a Brazilian gala, there's uh, Brazilian films as well? Yes, it's all Latin America, uh, from Mexico to Argentina, including Central America, Brazil, the biggest. Portuguese-speaking content in the world, and we have uh, four films from Brazil. So, uh, yeah, and also films that are probably half spoken in English, a couple of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we're not limited. Also, there are some films that have, a, uh, like the film from Bolivia, Sonasur, that's spoken half in Spanish and half in Aymara, the, the, the native language of Bolivia. So mm-hmm. it depends uh, also the country, right? Latin American, that aspect is very, uh, has a big variety in languages and from depends the regions they come from. And tell me, uh, what else is going on during the festival other than uh, the showings of the films? Uh, we have a workshop of cinematography and uh, lighting, and also a workshop of 3D. Mm-hmm. We have a concert of the, for the closing night with the Cuban, uh, Cuban band Will Campa y Su Gran Unión. We have a panel discussion that is called Participatory Filmmaking, Activism or Art. And uh, we have 15 directors or people involved in films, such as actors, uh, actresses, directors, directors of photography coming to have a dialogue with the audience after the film. Mm-hmm. And um, let me ask you, do you think that um, there, there's certainly been a sort of uh, 
a rise in popularity, certainly with um, with Mexican films, with um, you know such people as uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and um, Guillermo del Toro. Um, do you think that pe more people are are sort of you know looking toward uh, Latin American films than they have in the past? Yes, definitely. Also because they got a little involved in the Hollywood industry, right? So North, mm -hmm. North American audiences are very um, important when they see someone that is involved in, in Hollywood, um, which I see as a sad thing, but it's just the way it is. And our closing film is actually produced by Guillermo del Toro, so that's why that film ha has had a lot of uh, attention in the last years. And I'm sorry, not the last year, because it's a new film, actually, in the last year. And um, just give me a, a quick idea of um, the, the, the opening night. Uh, the opening night is this Thursday, mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow, uh, September the 2nd, at 7 p.m. at Granville 7, Granville and Robson. Uh, Los Viajes del Viento, directed by Ciro Guerra. It's a, it's a beautiful film. It's a travel film uh, and music film uh, that takes place in, the, in 80 places in the north part of Colombia. And uh, it's about a musician. It's about a uh, voyage. So it's, it's a very beautiful film. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks to you. That's Christian Sida Valenzuela, the programming uh, coordinator for the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival, which begins tomorrow and runs until September 12th. You can get more information on not only the films, you can buy tickets and also find out about the uh, the workshops and uh, panel discussions and uh, all the parties that are going on at uh, their website, which is www.vlaff.org. Vlaff.org. It's kind of fun to say that. Vlaff. Vlaff. So check out the website. Um, okay, so we are now nearing the end of our program. And um, I'd like to... Oh, yeah, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's going on um, in subsequent shows. As you know, the uh, Fringe Festival is coming up in just a matter... Oh, just in just over a week. It's not this weekend, but it begins uh, the weekend after this weekend. And... Um, it, there's going to be tons of plays to check out, and CITR is um, is a big part of the Fringe Fest this year. We um, will not only have um, some content for you for next week's uh, show, but we'll also be doing a live broadcast. That's right, we'll be there uh, on Granville Island itself, and uh, we'll do, be doing a special two-hour show at 4 p.m. next Wednesday. Sorry, not next next Wednesday, September the uh, 15th, and we'll have all kinds of guests that are fringe-related and not fringe-related, um, with uh, music and uh, and dance. And um, audience participation is certainly um, going to be uh, part of it. We're going to give away swag. Uh, we're going to have a great time. So um, you should check that out. And uh, what else can I give you a preview of? Ah, on next week's show, we will uh, speak to a Brazilian band who's coming up uh, to Vancouver for the first time to do a show. They're called uh, Garotas Suecas. And um, they, they've got a really kind of modern, um, funky uh, sound uh, that's not afraid to kind of draw back to um, 60s uh, psychedelic Brazilian music. So they're coming up to Vancouver uh, for the first time, and they're going to be at the Cult. So we've got an interview with them, and um, we'll also hear from the Turning Point Ensemble, which uh, has been featured on the Arts Report uh, before, and uh, will be again. And we'll hear about their upcoming uh, season. So yeah, isn't that fun? I've never got to um, to talk about 
a subsequent show before. You see how organized we're becoming here at the Arts Report? We're actually able to, uh, to plan ahead. It's a great skill. You know, you can tell UBC students work here because uh, there's planning involved. So it's going to be great. Um, if you um, want to catch uh, previous shows... Or if you didn't catch all of uh, today's show, um, you can uh, hear our podcast, and that can be found at citr.ca, and uh, there's a tab called uh, Shows, and there you'll find the uh, button Podcasts, and then you'll find uh, the Arts Report, and you can uh, subscribe so that it comes automatically to um, into your iTunes, or um, or just, you know, a la carte, just pick the episodes uh, that you like. I was on the iTunes um, the other day, and I saw that one of... I was looking at the uh, the popular episodes, and uh, the one with Said the Whale, the interview with Said the Whale, I think is the uh, most popular um, interview on iTunes for the Arts Report. Not the most popular on iTunes overall. That would be pretty amazing. Um, but the most popular uh, Arts Report episode. Um, all right, so that's, that's it. I want to thank you for joining me for another exciting show and i hope you're with us again next week we uh hope to continue to evolve and um and and get better every single week especially now that the uh, the new semester here at the university starts up again we hope to have some new young blood to uh, join our volunteer ranks um if you are uh, of young blood and perhaps not so young blood and would like to um join the arts report we would love to have you um also if you have uh, something to yell at me about um maybe it could be a lot of things it could be about how i do the show terribly or something that i'm not covering and really should be because because it's awesome, or if you have just something that is awesome and, and want it to be featured on the show and have nothing particularly to complain about but just want some, some attention for your work, all, uh, all of that is, uh, is very much welcome. So please email me at uh, arts at citr.ca. That's A-R-T-S, arts at citr.ca. All right, so I'm going to leave you with uh, another band that's going to be at the Victory Square Block Party. This band is called Sex Church, which describes themselves as a melodramatic popular song. That's an interesting description. And this song is called A Dead End. See you next week. Uh, Reels to Real is next. <laughs>